This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we are taking over the CBC. Not not really, but uh, we do have CBC financial guru, Mark Ting. That's right. Mark Ting, fan favorite, back on the show. He's also a partner at Foundation Wealth. Yes. He was also on the live event. He was. Mark, he was. Mark Ting, yeah, a couple cold ones with uh, the financial guru there. That was that was a good time. Yeah, I, I really enjoy the CBC. I hate eating their lunch, but uh, <laughs> but but really, I mean, we're, we're coming for Michael Enright next. Michael, yeah, CBC, Sunday edition. Yeah, I and I'm a huge Enright fan. He, yeah, uh, Michael Enright's a... I've modeled my whole personality around Michael Enright. <laughs> You seem to have actually modeled your whole personality around a CBC tote bag, um, and, and you're still wearing the the heavy canvas shirt to boot. Uh, so you're actually looking like one today too. But I'm, uh, anyways, it's a great show. It is no our show or my corner show. Yeah, well, all shows, all shows, all shows, but especially ours. Uh, I'm super yeah. excited today about this one. Though. It is. It's great because you know what? This is the second time we've talked to Mark very recently. Yes. The nice thing is on the on the live event, it was kind of. A free-for-all, questions were coming in, uh, we were all answering them, and he's so knowledgeable when it comes to all things finance. Today, we're talking a little bit more specifically about his recent investment, uh, we'll leave it for the show, but right. between Maine and Canby. Second, <laughs> I thought that's not leaving it for the show, but yeah, he's got a great investment. It's a great investment, he walks through the whole process, really exciting stuff, so stay tuned for that. 
But before we get to that, Adam. Yes. We got the Oakland tip. We always have the Oakland tip. And Matt, today, what is the Oakland tip? So today, the Oakland tip is re-caulking your kitchens and bathrooms is a quick way to spruce up and maintain your home. Yes, for sure. And you know what? If you are an agent out there and you don't have a good handyman, you should. And if you are a home seller, you should definitely ask your agent if they have a good team of handy people. That That's for sure. Because these minor things, yes. it's amazing how if you walk into a bathroom and you see just it, it, the the wear and tear, it, it just, those it's those little it things. reminds you of home. It's those little things yeah. that remind you of. <laughs> you want to be thinking of your best life, not your current life, yeah, yeah, right? So, exactly. so, so Sell these the are dream. these are uh, cheap ways to make things look great for sure. And you know, we just did this at one of our listings. Um, a quick story: uh, we actually redid all the all the caulking in the in the bathroom and actually along the countertops, like mm-hmm. where the tiles hit, just because it had it was deteriorated, it had it had aged, it would had a lot of dirt and filth around it and so we got rid of it the other thing we had done is uh, we had the cleaners work on the grout and you it's surprising if you give if you just give the cleaners an extra hour to just work on something like like making sure all the grout is clean uh, it it changes the way that uh, a unit presents absolutely absolutely so good tip this week yes we also have a tip. We do, Matt. And in honor of our guest, Mark Ting, uh, we should highlight that the deadline for contributing to an RS- RRSP for the 2019 tax year is March 2nd, 2020. So, what, yeah, what are we at today? February 25th. That's basically a week away. That's you got a week a, you away. Got a week to top up your RSP. And Matt, you actually, not this is not a tip, but I'm just curious. You just got back from Langford. You were there I on was the on the tour. I went on the tour on Saturday. I went and looked at Pinnacle, this new building right beside Langford Tower. We've had uh, Western Canadian Properties Group on the show before, and Cynthia Aysen was on last week. Right. Uh, So I went on the tour, a really good turnout, and it was uh, was really impressive stuff. You know what? I was up at Fort St. John looking at their construction up there as well, and uh, both times I've been really impressed. And with the rental program and everything else, it just makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, I uh, spent—it's a long day. You yeah. go, you get on the nine o'clock ferry, you leave, and then you come home on the five o'clock ferry, which doesn't sound like a long day, but uh, by the end, yeah, you're, you're tired. But hey, it was good. It was a nice sunny day in Victoria, a lot of fun. Okay, great, great. Well, hey, uh, what else do we got? Maybe without further ado, we should cut to our interview with Mark Ting. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy, guys. Okay, so we're here with Mark Ting, partner at Foundation Wealth and guide to personal finance on the CBC's On the Coast with Gloria Makarenko. I think I pronounced that correctly. You did. Um, Never well, heard of her. Welcome back, Mark. You've been on the show a few times. Uh, thanks for coming back. Yeah, glad to be here. I think this is a three three-peat? Are three you, peat, this yeah. your third time on the show? It's a three-peat. <laughs> Where's my ring? <laughs> that's that's the five timers club. Okay. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to come back twice more for that. Um, can you maybe start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay, so I, I guess my main job is I, I manage wealth for typically high net worth families and businesses. So we we basically take their money, we invest it, and uh, watch it grow and make sure that their financial goals are there with a focus on preservation of capital as well as tax planning strategies, legal tax planning strategies. Now, on the flip side, 
Uh, we do we do in the portfolio a decent amount of real estate, but personally, I've always done real estate myself. Started off when I was in high school, and uh, yeah, I just bought a place last year and we're working on that one. Yeah, well, we I, a lot of people listening will remember you from the Cambodia story, mm-hmm. the holiday in Cambodia. Yeah, Can the I, update are, are on we, that. Are we done with that, or what's happening? <laughs> no, so uh, so uh, we lost that land. Right? right, it was taken from us. And then we were we went after the person who sold it because they weren't allowed to sell us something that wasn't theirs because apparently it wasn't ours. Right. So uh, they flipped it. They flipped us another piece of land which we owned and it's titled properly. But I, I don't know. Like I, my friend lives there now. My partner who's dealing with it, he actually lives there full time and he's trying to sort it out. Oh, so you actually did end up with land in the end. With we got the five land. star generals. People should go back and listen to the. Oh the, no! It's a riveting level, levels story. of corruption involved in this one is. <laughs> I have no idea where that general is. He got scared away. No, we just don't. We do own a land, a piece of land, but it's like a, a tiny piece of land compared to what we did own. Right. The, but the value was basically what we paid for it. So we didn't get any of the growth that was basically stolen. But our, our, I guess we got. I got an asset that's worth basically what I paid for. So it's not a win. <laughs> By any means. <laughs> Not a lose. <laughs> Although your time. It and, sounds and you like a lot. lot of time. Yeah, it's a story. Yeah. So that's what I'm paying. That's what I, that's the benefit, I guess. I got a good story out of it. But, you know, I, maybe it'll be a win. I don't know. Right. Well, right. well in, in addition to, to being um, uh, somebody who works in finance and also on the CBC, you, you are an avid real estate investor. Mm-hmm. And, and you just actually bought a property recently. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So it was a, we were started looking. Actually, I never look for real estate. It's just one of those things where people come to me and they're like, hey, have you thought about this? And I got a realtor that I work with and he, he just like, hey, this might be good for us because I usually partner up. If you listen to the other podcasts, I always have partners. I never right. do things on alone. I like to spread my risk. I like to go through it with different people so that we can talk about things, hash things out. And my partners always have a very different skill set than I do. So that's what I that's what I look for in partners because if they're all the same as me, I might as well just do it all myself. Right. So the in this case, my realtor looked at, looked at it. He he had another client who was looking at it, and they decided to go with another project. And he approached me about it. So it, what appealed to me, I guess, was location. So it's it's close to here. It's in and it's in Mount Pleasant. It's between Maine and Canby, walking distance to the SkyTrain. There's going to be a new SkyTrain down. Broadway, we walk the neighborhoods at all times of the day. So morning, day, night, multiple times, rainy, sunny, and the neighborhood just drew me in. It's right. an awesome neighborhood. Yeah. There's a skate park right behind us. <laughs> <laughs> talk, Avid skateboarder as well. <laughs> yeah. Talk to all the neighbors because I think that's the key to a project right now because we've had problems with neighbors in the past. So I always make very good friends of our neighbors now, keep right. them up to date with what's going on, check in with them and ask them what they thought of the neighborhood. And they, they loved it. Everybody who was there just loved it. They said, uh, the guy that I spoke to, he rides his bike into downtown 13 minutes. If he has to take the sky train, you know, 20 minutes at the most. Right. So it's, it's kind of the location, location, location thing. And, uh, in order to get it though, it's, it had to be do with timing. It also had to do with price. So I guess the main thing for us, the only reason, because this neighborhood is quite expensive and it's, people are building these things up and it's going up. And, and, and it's a single family home? It's a duplex. 
Okay. So it was a house that was built, you know, a hundred years ago and in the eighties, they, they cut it, they forced it into a duplex. So it's not a natural duplex. So again, that's another thing. So it's a duplex already. So we bought both sides. It's one house. Plus there's the possibility for a laneway. Everybody else in our neighborhood has laneways. So it's three structures that could be built on this one piece of land. Uh, the kicker is, sounds good so far, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it's disgusting. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if, if it's Halloween, you don't even have to decorate it. It'd scare little kids away. It's, right. you know, it's, it's, it's a crime not, scene. Yeah. It's not pleasing on the eyes at all. But generally what happens, these are the types of projects we go for. We want to go for the ugly duckling in the neighborhood. Um, we we got to make sure there's good bones there mm-hmm. because then another consideration is how extensive the city is going to be involved with permitting, that sort of thing. And we determined with this house that the city would be involved. We're going to need permits, mostly on the outside. We're going to have to do some repairs. And... Um, but the inside, really, it's it's pretty good. Like, it was renovated in, in the 80s. I was thinking back, my house is in the 80s as well. So the, the piping, it's not knob and tube. Everything's been updated. It's just a matter of cleaning it up and defunkifying it and making it look a little bit prettier. And wh- when did you pull the trigger on this? I think I was brought to my attention in, I, I don't know, I'll, I'll say in the fall, like early fall, September. And... We kicked the tires on this one for months. It wasn't even me who originally kicked the tires because my, my friend was working with somebody else. So he's, he was there all the time looking at it and like seeing if there's anything rotten. He literally went there, I'd say 30 times and spent like an hour, two hours each time humming and hawing about it, whether he should do it or not. Um, whether, uh, we could, we can bring this together. Um, so I would say we pulled the trigger in, we finally got a deal done in November and we closed in January. What we looked for and what sort of worked out for us is is it all comes down to the numbers for me. I try not to fall in love with anything. And this was an easy one not to fall in love with. Like, honestly, like almost every day is like, I don't need this. Like, this is going to be a lot of work. So we went in with that attitude, like almost a defeatist attitude because we kind of didn't want to do this one. But the price ended up, we were negotiating just with one group and there was no other offers for like months and months and months. And the price went down to a point where like, fine, okay, let's just do this. And then we pulled the trigger on it. So so how long is the are the timelines for, for this project then? If you're going through with the city and permits? Well, like the, the inside's fine, as I mentioned. So the f- inside, we just got to paint it, clean it up, re and re- so just and was take, it was it tenanted? So the whole place no, was tenanted, no. or it was empty? Well, that, that's another thing that we looked at, right? So these are all part of the due diligence process. So right now, if we were to look at a property, tenants are hugely important. Like, how long are they going to stay? How long were they there? Because you have all these new rules that are coming through. Um, I have a friend who just bought a house, and he's completing in a couple months, and he has tenants in there who are who've been there for like twenty something years. And he had in his contract that it would be vacant. So I don't know. You guys might know better than me, but I was like, I don't know if you could put that in a contract or how you would do that. Like, how do you kick somebody out? Like, so I, I was, I just cautioned him. I was like, right now, if you have that in a contract that the seller is saying it was going to be a vacant property, then I would really get something in writing that ended tenancy agreement or something. Right. Because there's ramifications if he takes them on. 
And his idea was, when I think what the realtors were talking about was, well, yes, maybe the tenants would agree to raise the rent to sort of market rent. And then, then every, everybody's happy. Tenants get to stay there and you get your market rent and, and that you can make it cash flow. And I, I still cautioned him. I was like, look, I, I not being the, I'm just telling you the truth. I'm a risk manager and I see risks. A, yeah. because these tenants were in their eighties and uh, you, I've heard a lot of stories, you know, sometimes dementia kicks in or like the, the one person might not be able to good, be good with the finances and they might not be able to pay you. And then you, what are you going to do? You're going to try to evict an 80 year old? Like it's a really tough like a situation. a newspaper story. <laughs> but that's what he's, he's going for it. So I, I told him, I was like, look, if they have that deal where you're supposed to get a vacant house, to be honest, like I would almost want that. I would rather choose my own tenants who go in there so I so I can be able to predict what I think is going to happen. And uh, the other thing is, if you get new tenants, then that clock sort of starts again, mm-hmm. right? So those 22-year-old tenants, that's those are tough ones to get rid of, or you might have to pay them off, which is fine. Those are the rules. But why not let the sellers who've agreed to this, they take on that burden as opposed to you take on that burden. And if they do up the rent and they still pay you, that's almost like you saying, okay, I'm going to take them on. And all of a sudden that liability falls on you. Right. So mm-hmm. it's a tough decision, right? Because these are real people. But from his perspective, he's not a wealthy man. Like he's he's fine. But he, in order to make these deals work, he had to have sort a of certain those, rent. Yeah, right? a certain yeah. rent. So that's what we're facing. And it's – tenants are a huge consideration. Yeah. My place didn't have any tenants. So that's one of the things. Had it been filled with tenants and they're like – you know, like the ones I just described, I probably would have walked away from it. I go, this is going to be way too much of a hassle. I don't, I, I don't like evicting anybody, and I don't want to be in that position. I, I would probably walk away. But in our case, it was empty. And so, what are the, what are the goals here? Are you, is this a long term hold? Are yeah. you okay? So you're, you're putting tenants in there. Your plan is to kind yes. of rehab and, and get some tenants. Yeah, almost every real estate venture I go into, I, I go into it with a long-term mindset. I've done build and flipped before and I hated it. I was stressed out all the time. I happened to do it at a bad time when the HST was coming in, coming out. So HST was coming out, but our house was subject to HST because it wasn't coming out for another year. Oh, brutal. And uh, it wasn't a pleasant experience, whereas I like, I like real estate and I like the process. So typically... I, I think I rather keep things for a long hold. So, a there's three there's there's three partners with this one, and there's potentially three units in this house. So I, I'm thinking maybe maybe 10, 15 years from now I might even move in there because I do like the neighborhood that much. And we when we renovate we we have standards so we don't do garbage. The, our our rules are if we're going to do something it has to be to where our families would actually be comfortable living there. Right. It's not going to be there right away because we have a limited budget, but as, and we're, we're going to focus on the inside and then ultimately it's the outside is going to be done later. And that worked out with our planning because it takes time working with the city to get the permits. We're working with an architect. Sure. And uh, so that we can work on the inside, get it, get it tenanted out, get people living there, and then we can work on the outside. So if I understand it's a, it's a duplex that you've you're gonna make it you know pretty inside. 
Yeah. Get tenants in there, do the exterior, and then build a laneway at a future date. Coach. Uh, I don't know about the laneway. That's yeah. the laneway is far, far. In the oh, so there's three units currently. Then no, no, there's there's just two, two. but potentially there's three. Oh, right. Okay. So there's again, there's all these tax reasons why a laneway might work and might not work. And again, there's three of us. So right now we don't have the means to do the laneway. And uh, I, to be honest, I. It's another project I don't want to do it, right? <laughs> I need a break. <laughs> but I like flexibility. I like having that option. And I remember when I bought my house in Richmond, we had these land use contracts. And one of the main considerations, which no one talks about, like I, I, I'm guessing a lot of people who are listening today don't understand what a land use contract is. But what it really meant was my piece of land in Richmond, if I wanted to, I could build as big as I wanted to. They were, they were grandfathered in there. Right. And I remember choosing the house that I have, which is a small lot, and another house in another neighborhood, which was a much bigger lot, basically the same price. I liked the house that I have because it was in a cul-de-sac and it was perfect for me. I I enjoy small houses myself. I never want to live in a big house. But I wanted the option, if I ever ripped this thing down, because it's a house in the 1980s, that I could build something bigger, value add. And then what happened was the government took all that land use contracts away, and I was like a little bit upset because had I... Had I known that, yeah, I could yeah. have bought this one, and this one went way higher in price because it was yeah. a bigger lot. Yeah. So you never know, but these are the these are the things we work with. Rules change as we go along. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. One thing I wanted to talk about. I mean, uh, I don't know if there's anything more to cover. It sounds like your due diligence is is you do more due diligence than a lot of people I know. I'd love to talk about that. But one thing just before we get there is, so you've done. I know you had a, a project going in New West. You've done a lot of different projects do you work with the same people over and over again are you always looking for new partners and how do you you've already mentioned like uh that you're looking for people with different skill sets Mm -hmm. Uh, but do you do you actually can you talk a little bit more about how you find partners uh do you put everything in writing like what is that what is that process look like and then we can talk about due diligence the the two partners that i have right now are people i've done deals with in the past. And there's just a ton of trust there. So uh, I won't go into the finances, but basically two of us put up all the money and one person put up nothing, but one person is going to be on title for like a third of the project. So you don't do that unless you really trust somebody. Yeah. And again, even though you trust somebody, you still have to paper everything properly because things go wrong and you always have to have those what if type of scenarios. Right. So I mean, there's still promissory notes in there. There's still partnership agreements. What if one wants to person wants to leave before another? All that thing has to be hashed out at the beginning while everybody loves each other. Because when people hate each other, that's when things go wrong. And that's what I see in my regular practice too. So I got families that I deal with, often millions of dollars. And then something with a family doesn't go right. Second marriage, new kid comes out of the wind work, whatever. And we have to structure things properly so that when things go wrong, this is very predictable of how things will flow through. Mm-hmm. So do I look for partners? No. Right now, I'm I'm not looking for – I'm trying to slow down, to be honest, right? Yeah. And I would only do projects that I think um, that I could trust people completely. And even on this one, the one partner who has the skill set, uh, he's really good at construction. And he's he has the connections of the trades and everything else, which is another huge. This is factor. the guy that didn't put up any capital. That's right. So he's putting up sweat equity, and I mean, ultimately, what's going to happen? Just to sort of flash forward a couple of months in the future. So now we're we're we bought it. We're going to fix it up. We're going to put some money into it. It's going to look decent, nice. 
At, and then right now, there's no mortgage on it because we used other lending to buy it. So it's a clear title property. Probably a bank would laugh at us if we asked for money. <laughs> um, but in the future, six months from now, it, it'll be a decent property. It'll be like two, two duplexes, two, three bedrooms. And a, a bank will lend us, we'll say, up to 80%. At, which, at that time, then the other people get paid out. And then there's three people on that title, three people on the mortgage, and now it's split equally. Mm-hmm. So it's that initial six months, seven months, that there's a lot of ifs where technically me and my other partner are putting up, uh, are, are at risk financially because the other person is already on. Mm-hmm. But that's incentive for him, to, my other partner who doesn't have the financial um, buy-in to get the project up and running and we're relying, relying on him for a lot of those things. So that's his skill set. Um, I'm more of the accounting, financial, somewhat due diligence stuff. And my other partner is also a mixture of the two of us. He's also extremely handy. He goes in there, does cabinet. So we do a lot of the work ourselves. Mm-hmm. I go in there on Saturdays and I bring my son and we lay flooring or we go to, we go to the dump and we paint like just easy stuff. Yeah. So if I was to hire myself, I'd only pay myself like 25 bucks an hour and I'm paying my kid like 10 bucks an hour. Whereas if I had to hire my other partners, they'd probably get about $60 an hour. So it, it makes sense for them to be working on this project. Yeah. Whereas me, where if I pay myself 20 bucks an hour, I'd rather actually foot out the money and pay somebody sure. else, right. you know, $160 yeah, so somebody and else go, can go do to it. The dump. Yeah. And then I can get time off because I still need some time off. Sure. So those are the different skill sets that we're looking at. We all bring something different to the to the project. But again, yeah, there is a lot of trust involved. And you learn that trust by doing projects, starting smaller ones, and then gradually building up to bigger ones. Mm-hmm. Well, in thinking kind of about the goal, is this, are you going to be cash flow positive with this place once you get it up and running? Yeah, well, that's another rule. Like we do 100% financing. We don't put any money into our projects. Right, right. And we don't do it unless it's cash flow neutral. Like I don't really care about the cash flow. Like when we started off the New West one, is cash flow neutral. We didn't really make any money. We didn't lose any money. But every month that went by, we we had a principal plus interest mortgage payment going in. So technically, we did have make money that way. Principal's going down, mortgage's mm-hmm. going down. This one's going to be harder just because prices have gone up that much. But we we have to be creative and maximize our asset. And again, there there's things you can do to to facilitate that. So yes, to answer your question, it will be cash flow. I'll say positive and probably in a year. Right now, for the first year, I'll probably be cash flow negative. But uh, the negative, neg- this, the rate of, yeah, we might only have to throw in like five hundred bucks a month or something. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not between three of us. Another reason I like partners. It's not going to kill us. We each throw in two hundred bucks for the next month, next six months, and then after that, it should be fine. So, Mark, other times we've had you on the program, you've been less bullish on the market. Not so much less bullish, but. You've taken an approach of kind of wait and see with Vancouver, kind of monitoring the market. Why did you decide to jump back in this uh, this past year? Well, it's a value add, I think. I think this is a project that we found that we knew we'd get a good price on because no one else was bidding on it. So we tend to look for, I'll say, lazy realtors or lazy owners because it's not always the realtor's fault. But to be honest, like if I own this property when I was selling it, like when he was selling it, had that person only spent 10 grand, 15 grand painting it, maybe right. defunkifying the smells and things like that, he would have gotten a lot more offers and he would have made a hundred, probably 200 yeah, grand he more. Saw a good return on that money, that's for sure. But they refused to do it and it just showed 
really, really bad. And you needed a specific type of person who could see through that and actually look at the wiring, look at the the joints and whatever, and see, actually, it's not too bad. We just got to do this, this, and this. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I looked at it after we spent 15 grand. It looked way, way better. Smelled a lot better. So, <laughs> smells huge, right? Yeah. No one wants sure. a stinky house. So, <laughs> there was a deal there. So, I, I wouldn't say I'm overly bullish on the Vancouver real estate market right now. It's 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 gone up quite a bit. I like to buy when it's a buyer's market. And right now it's not a buyer's market, it's a seller's market. So if I'd be more inclined to be on the selling side, although I hate selling real estate, so I I probably wouldn't want to be doing that either. This one, like I said, New West, I'm planning on keeping it for as long as I can. Mm -hmm. The So, and I'm just thinking of timing here. So you got back into the market, you started in the early fall so the market was starting to pick up yep. a little bit at that point we were kind of on that is this actually a fluke one month off or are we sort of seeing a trend um but you actually com- completed on it in january but you but it went firm in december november november yeah okay, I, so the market was churning pretty good at that point uh not for this house though this house no. was abandoned like no, we, but, we but, saw other houses that were similar and they went for like 400 grand more yeah and and this this location uh i don't know exactly where the house is but between maine and canby is you know a guy just said to me the other day that's the new point gray right like that's where everybody wants to be if i had to pick one place to live in vancouver it's there yeah it's mm-hmm. Anywhere, I'd rather be there than Point Grey. I'd rather be there than Kits. It's me personally. Yeah, like the proximity to my office, the restaurants on Main Street. Like I can walk to Main Street in five minutes. It's it's a great location, and it's to me that that's the main thing. It's going to get better. I'm willing to throw in some money, put in the work to get that piece because it's something that I might use in the future. And mm-hmm. again, it's we own the land. We don't have to deal with strata, which I hated doing. We don't have to deal with all these new insurance issues not nearly as much as them. You know, there, there's a lot of things that I, I think there's, it's very beneficial to own a piece of land that is a duplex. Like I think duplexes are great. Yeah, like, right. It's a great way to get into the market. And then the, the opportunity for the laneway, that's just, just another something that's not really icing on the cake, but it's, it's there if we need it. It's yeah. Yeah. It's better than not having it. That's yeah. for sure. Well, it's interesting you mentioned stratas because you just wrote a piece. Do you want to? Are you? Well, I actually, I kind of okay. maybe talk a little bit about the market just because. I mean, what if we ask you every time you're on? But what are your thoughts on the market right now? And uh, we kind of before we got on air, we were talking about some missed opportunities, perhaps for buyers, and um, how at least last time we were talking about buyers' markets are times when mm-hmm. buyers should buy. And a lot of them didn't, right? Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing, uh, we're seeing a bit of a pile on in is particularly the entry level price points, but this has been a really busy start to the year. It's a busy story. Yeah. Yeah. No question. Yeah. I mean, interest rates are going down. That, that helps. Uh, it, to me, honestly, it comes down to my spreadsheets. Like if I come, if I, what, what I do is I work backwards. I look at all the expenses, like my own personal expenses, what are my fixed costs, and then the cost of the of the housing. And now I'm putting more focus on those insurance prices because I think that will factor if you are looking at a strata. And I would almost double those and not stri- not double the strata, but double your insurance cost and maybe add another 30, 40% on your strata when you're doing your due diligence. Mm-hmm. Because essentially most if you're gonna be renting this out as a as a revenue property, there's gonna be a lot of your expenses that are gonna go higher than two and a half percent, which you're sort of 
locked in in terms of rent increases. So you have to do your due diligence at the beginning and put those buffers in at the beginning. Now, I'll tell you right now, my, my spreadsheet's going to tell me that almost every strata building out there is not going to cash flow. Yeah. Like, it's just not, right? And I have people come up to me and they say, hey, I just bought this. What do you think? And I'll see people who put down 40, 45% and they're still not cash flowing. And to me, that's, that's not a good deal. Like there's, there's an opportunity cost that's lost there. I rather do something better with my money or something different, right? Cause I understand it, there's two aspects to it. There's the cash flow aspect and the cap- capital appreciation aspect. So then they always ask me, okay, what would you do? And I, it's, we're going back. I think we were talking about it earlier where we have a lot of people who sit in this chair and they always talk about, okay, um, why would you invest in the stock market when you could buy something, a hard asset you can feel that produces income and that goes up every year? Sure. Right. So I'm like, every time I hear that, I'm like, well, I would do that. <laughs> like, I do do that. Yeah. And they always, it's tough to explain that because if people really love real estate, then they're fixated on it and it's, it's a confirmation bias and that's really they go for. So this is how I would explain it. So first off, I love real estate. Second off, it's not an either or. That's why that's what I have to get people's yeah. mind around. It's there's a purpose for real estate in terms of investment, in terms of retirement planning, and there's a purpose for the market. So I do a hockey analogy. So if you got a hockey team, what you would never have a whole bunch of defensive defensemen, right? Yeah. You, you wouldn't. You you need a combination of offense, defense in order to win the game to reach your goals. So I see it the same way. Real estate we build models. Like I, I run hundreds of millions of dollars for people and we build models and they will have real estate in there because there's a purpose for that real estate. Usually it's, it's the, to me, it's the defensive guy, the guy I can count on. who's going to give me a point once in a while and it's going to be there when I need it. When things go bad, you want a good solid defenseman. But I also want those high flyer scores and that's where the market could come in. So there's always like that yin and yang. You don't want all high-flying scorers or all defensemen. Otherwise, you're probably going to lose. And then you, you take it one step further, whereas if you've got a lead, if you've got a whole bunch of scorers and you're, you're, you're going to win this game, well, what do you do? What does a coach do? He probably takes that high-flying scorer who might score a lot of goals but also makes mistakes – and puts them on the bench for more time Play instead of in there right? and yeah. go more defensively. Same, same with the stock market. Sorry, same, same with that, right? So you, you would when markets are going really high. Well, what do you do? You, you, you take some profits and you put into real estate or something slower and more defensive. And then on the flip side, when, when things are when you're maybe behind a couple goals, well, you might have to go more offensive. So if markets are down, that's when you take the money from the safe stuff and you go into the more aggressive stuff. And that's how a model works. Mm-hmm. So that's that's sort of how I explain it. It's like, yeah, real estate's awesome. Like private mortgages are awesome. Like we have those in our portfolio, but we have all these other things that complement yeah. it. And you'll, you know, I can cherry pick any stock and say, oh, this is done way better than Netflix, up 45% a year. So if you put in $10,000, a, 10 years ago, it'd be worth $370,000. Like those are good returns. Yeah. But then of course there's all a bunch of other ones that go down, but that's, that's what you get with that. So it's, it's one of those things. So if someone said they had, you know, 50% down payment, they still can't cash flow to me. I'd be like, that's a, not a good opportunity cost. I would look at maybe a different type of investment. If you really like real estate REITs or even private mortgages where you can pretty much get seven or 8%. There's different things you can do. Mm-hmm. So personally, I 
do want my children to have real estate and I do think it's a good investment, but it has to, it comes down to the deal. And that's, that's the amount of the spreadsheet along with what else is out there in terms of opportunity. What, uh, so with the people you work with, uh, the kind of basket of, of investments, right? Can you talk a little bit about, um, percentages? Like what, how, how are you structuring the, that basket? And okay. how would an average person uh, do that? And, and then secondly, a little bit more about the model. Like if you're not, you know, I'm just like curious to hear. More. Yeah. So the first thing, whenever someone's putting together an investment model, the first thing they have to recognize about themselves is they don't have a crystal ball. They don't know what they don't know. And they're probably going to be wrong, right? What's that saying about forecasts? Like half the people don't know anything and the other half don't know they don't know anything. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that. So for good advice, you basically have to have like a, a strategic plan and you got to stick with it and not let your emotionals or your biases get in there. Because when it comes to investing, mostly with something that goes up and down, which you can see the daily prices go up and down. That's why real estate's good because you don't really see that. You get emotionally involved and you typically react at the worst time. And studies have shown this. Yeah. So I tell people, everything you need to know about investing, your gut will tell you. But the, diff- the tweak is you got to do the opposite of what your gut's telling you. So when you think, I got to get in, that FOMO is really ramping up, that's the time you should be like going, okay, chill, take the 10, 10 second, 10 breaths and, and really rethink about that. And then when things are really crashing, let's, let's say there's uh, this, this insurance thing causes a, a big problem in the condo strata market and all of a sudden people have to sell or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, and your gut's telling you to run away and you're like, okay, there's that opportunity. So in, in every crisis, there's opportunity, right? So that's why I'm kind of watching what's going to happen with this insurance thing, because to me, it's quite interesting. It, it hasn't hit anything yet. No one's really talking about it too much. But if it does get worse and worse and worse, then I, I could see there being an opportunity there. Just like, just like the stock market and coronavirus. If coronavirus really gets really worse and then people sell out because they're panicking, well, those are good times to enter. It's not mm-hmm. happening. We're mm-hmm. actually, I think the TSX is at an all-time high today. Right. And we're at the peak of the coronavirus. But it could have played out that way. So I don't have a crystal ball. Or the peak could be a couple months from now when it gets worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't yeah. know. But like people will constantly debate about it. Right. And forecast who knows? I don't yeah. know. So it's more of a, I'm more, more of a person who will react to something. And if I, my gut, and if I see a lot of people panicking, that's where I get really more interested. Uh-huh. I don't see a lot of people panicking about real estate right now. So I, I'm yeah. more cautious. Well, we were just talking, like we, we've had a, we've sold a couple properties this week with uh, $250,000 water deductibles. Yes. Um, people aware of that still buying real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, like, how do you see this playing out? The insurance, uh, increases you know see the again i don't know but i i think of it on the other side so going back to that real estate versus stocks first thing that comes to my mind is like man you got three you had seven players in the real in this in this real estate world in this insurance world and uh and now that's down to two and that's why they're spiking prices that's basically what's happening right there's less competition so in my mind i'm thinking i should be investing in those real estate in those insurance companies because people it's counterintuitive, but when there's more disasters in the world and all these insurance companies have to pay out, you would think that that would be bad for insurance companies. But it's actually the opposite that happens. Insurance companies' values go up uh, because people just accept those new premiums. And you hear that everywhere. I heard it on your show, various other places. 
Oh, if we got a pit, we got a pit. Mm-hmm. 300, 400%. Well, who's bringing that money in? And it's changing behavior. The other thing that I keep hearing is that all these stratas, they're going to do whatever it takes they, not to they, make a claim. Yeah, they refuse to make claims. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So you got someone who's not making claims anymore and that's paying like three to 400% more. Right. I'm like, where do I want to be in this trade? I'm yeah. thinking it's a good time. Well, this is not investment advice, but I would I would be looking at, you know, maybe this is an insurance. Insurance companies are, are something that would be, that people could be thinking about. Right. So that's why there's always the other side of the table, and that's that's sort of how I look at it. Whether what I, whether how it's going to play out, I have no idea. I'm, I'm but I'm watching it. And I'm curious about it. Do you think this could just lead to better buildings and building practices in a lot of ways? Because I'm I'm thinking about like auto insurance, right? I mean, the seatbelt and a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff that came in that was a safety mechanism was a result of the insurance industry demanding it, right? Um, and if you think about just the way building practices are, I mean, uh, it would probably be in the best interest of a developer to to take extra measures to prevent leaks or to well, prevent even better I was just piping in, or plumbing. Well, not only that, like the... I mean, any inspection you ever go to, right? The first thing before you even walk in, the inspector goes, all right, the rubber hoses to the laundry, you want to change those. But it's crazy that I was just in a brand new building and it's like for five bucks more, they could put in the braided. Yeah. And they don't. Braided steel, like, yeah. It's just, ins- it's like nuts. Like that type of thing is... Uh... But you're right. Stratas are going to move towards that. But I, I wonder if there's a... I'm, I'm just thinking out loud, but I wonder if there's a, a real opportunity for a developer to... Uh, to spend a bit more and and to market around the fact that that you know uh, we're, we've got this as leak proof as possible. Yeah, this building, right? I can see that happening. People will pay pay a premium for it, and it it's not hard to do. Like I think of it all the time. It's like right. all it's just shutoffs, or they do it with fireproofing all the time. We we can we can contain it to these floors. Well, that's containing it is I think a big well, thing, right? And that's why I imagine if, if a developer went in there and saying, oh, these are the extra things we're doing so you don't have to worry about that. And, and sure. insurance companies will react to it because insurance companies do give you discounts for alarms and various other things, your proximity to your firehouses. It's all risk-based. Right. Uh, what we do in our houses is, A, we never reuse anything. Like like if we see a coil, even if it's braided, we're like, oh, I'm replacing that. Yeah. Uh, it's five bucks. I'd rather just yeah. have sure that security. Yeah. We typically, we're, we're a little bit different because we can fix anything. So we're not making claims unless it's horrendous. Yeah. So we insure against like big fires, big tree falling on us, but floods and things like that, because we're not in a strata building, we're just our own building, we can go in there and fix that. We tell our tenants always anything to do with water. I don't care if you did something stupid. I don't care if you took a big poo and it's coming back up. We'll be there. Don't yeah. try to fix it yourself. Yeah. And and that's has, that's happened. And every time they do, even if it's like late at night, we get there, we, f- we fix anything to do with water, and we thank them for it. It's like, good call. Thanks for doing that. Could have been a lot worse. Well, I feel like I've told this story a thousand times on the show, but <laughs> I had a tenant who didn't want to bother me, right? And yeah. it's like, I went there and it's like, it was all, it was like a, like I was in a rainforest. <laughs> like, it was nuts. There'd been water damage like for months. <laughs> like, <laughs> Had to rebuild the house. Yeah. Water for months. No, well, like literally it was my basement suite was, it was like, I hadn't been in, I was on vacation. I got back. I said, how is it? Like, I knew there was a leak. He said, ah, I don't think it's that bad. And then I went down there. I was like, okay, this, this was not an A, it hasn't been a new, like 
the walls are green. Like this is cr- well, like nearly, and it was moist, like in that way where you're, you know, it was it, like it Stanley felt, Park yeah. uh, in the middle of January. Like, well, it felt uh, also. Like and he the, was like, "No, I didn't want to bother you." We were like, talking thanks, about it at thanks. this time too, because uh, he was from a part of the world that where where a lot of concrete construction, right, different kind of drain systems. Right. I yeah. mean, that's the other thing too. I mean, when you if you're not used to well, drywall this, and wet drywall and and uh, laminate floors and stuff like that, you, you might not recognize the signs of a leak bubbling. the same like it way. Was just, you <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, that was uh, Matt's, Matt's yeah. experience. <laughs> but now, yeah, I mean, I uh, that was a uh, uh, kind of a, uh, there was an educational component that I think I've implemented since mm-hmm. <laughs> that you're talking about. That uh, yeah, you got to train your your tenants. Yeah, and they're they're just trying to be nice and yeah. helpful, but. Mm-hmm. Here's the line. This is when you're not being helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Anything to do with water, it's not a problem. Just call us. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's water's a pain in the ass and uh, it can get anywhere. You can start over on one side of the house and it finds places. It can be on the other side of the house. So it's something that if you can get it quickly, you can save yourself a lot of hassle. Right, right, right. I I, kinda, I feel like there's a lot to unpack with just the condo insurance yeah, thing. Yeah, maybe uh, we should maybe stick on just that. A, a little bit a little bit more here. But um, so I mean, I guess if if I understand what you're saying, there there might be if if you're somebody that watches the market and it, it feels like this insurance thing will get worked out to some extent, but there might be an opportunity based on people that are are fearful of it, and there might it, it, we could see a shift where sellers move to a uh, you know, I want out of this. There's too much risk. There's too much liability, especially if they're self-insuring, right? Right. Which a lot of people have to be right now. Well, this is it, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think that eventually the market will solve this. Like if two players mm-hmm. are making that much money, yeah. well, then another player is going to come in and then there's going to be more competition. I don't think the fear is there yet. I don't see it at all. As I wrote that article and I got lots of comments. I was like, oh, I didn't know this was happening. So I, I don't think there's like a opportunity or a crisis right now like yeah but if i was a buyer and i had those six hundred thousand dollar deductible or something like that i would be like i don't know if i want to buy this place like well, I, I would actually yeah. walk away and i imagine other people once the story comes bigger and then people will people always have to sell at some point like estate sales or whatever and then i could see those prices going down and eventually well if i go down far enough that could be an opportunity for somebody well also like i'm and i'm just i'll i'll try and work this out in my thinking here but have the gaps between home ownership in the condo market and in the detached market just narrowed significantly because when you think about say like a uh, an insurance company like sonnet i think it's sonnet or um foursquare i think is still doing the really high deductible coverage do your own due diligence on that but i think they are still covering really significant deductibles for mm-hmm. for personal insurance but if if it just becomes you know that obviously now your premium is going to go up as an individual homeowner and you could be spending another $2000 on on insurance coverage mm-hmm. per year for condo insurance so if you think about all these increasing costs your strata insurance um premium going up your own personal insurance premium going up your maintenance fees going up over time at what point are your carrying costs you know, at what point do people start to say, I want to move to either smaller, smaller buildings that are maybe, or, or smaller, something like a duplex, mm-hmm. right? Or, or stretch to get into the detached just because potentially my carrying costs are, are lower. That's my thoughts anyways. Like I, I do own a strata building. Mm-hmm. I own a townhouse 
and our 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 premiums went up a bit. Uh, I think our our strata fees only went up like five percent, which is kind of in line. Yeah, and our deductible went from like five grand to twenty five grand. But I was thinking about it. I'm fine with that. I'm actually happy with that because, and the reason why is because it's a townhouse. No one's above us. No one's below us. So it's risk based, right? So if I was a new buyer and I was like, okay, there's this townhouse over here, or there's this condo in this fifty foot, fifty floor building, right? But like them both, like my instinct would be like because of everything you just mentioned. I want to go for that one, the townhouse, mm-hmm. just because this insurance thing could be a problem. And I don't know. I don't know, right? It could balloon out or it could go away in six months. Who knows? Well, but everyone says houses are more expensive to live in. And I mean, the reality though is like you've put a roof on your house recently, but you've been, you've yeah. gotten away with, uh, you've, you've been fair. I've had some more dings <laughs> yeah. with my home ownership, but, but you've no, done well, quite I well. Wrote, I wrote uh, back when we were aspiring to write blog posts on our Website. We're still aspiring. <laughs> we are still aspiring. <laughs> but I wrote a blog just looking at carrying costs for uh for kind of entry level homes in East Vancouver versus townhomes in East Vancouver, and the carrying costs without the maintenance fee and with the tenant, you know, the the there's the sticker shock, I guess, but it's not all that much different. But actually, the carrying costs were, I think, it was actually worked out to be, uh, you know, easier to carry at a 1.5 million versus a 1.1. Uh, on the on the townhome or something like that. It was a couple of years back when I was really uh, have to revisit put it, that putting the post. energy in. Yeah. yeah, we'll have a link in the show notes. I <laughs> uh, I mean it goes back to what I bought though, right? Right. It's a duplex, three two three bedrooms, and I was thinking in the future that's going to be affordable for a family, right? Mm-hmm. So you got again. We're I'm, I was I didn't know about this insurance thing when I bought it, but the idea when we bought that place is like who's going to live here. Who could live here? And it's super flexible. You could have wealthy people or you could have just regular families. There's like so many different things depending on what we do there. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at, okay, who can afford it? Because affordability is a big thing. Well, people will pay a premium for being close to the city center. We know that closer to this transit. These are all things we like, but you're paying for it. So Vancouver is going pretty high-end tech. So I could picture a lot of people when we're thinking about we talked about maximizing income for tenants. So one of the things we're thinking about is we've approached Amazon, we've approached a couple other places and saying, hey, look, do you want to have access to this place? And because you're going to have people in here for maybe a year or two, because typically that's what it works. So these are well-paid professionals. They come to Vancouver, they want a nice place to live. And then after two years, if they stay, they usually buy something. So it's generally, if we wanted to give them that leeway, this is an opportunity for them. Or it could be anybody, but I could I could imagine someone renting out or even buying that place in the future, a three-bedroom duplex. It will be affordable compared to a single-family home or mm-hmm. maybe some of these other condos. Mm-hmm. So again, it's all about flexibility, who, who can do what. We're going to be furnishing these places. We're going to be doing a bunch of things like that to try to maximize rents. Interesting. Do you, do you approach a lot of like, so uh, maybe talking about kind of how you're approaching filling these tenancies. And so is that, is that a strategy of yours? Are you actually reaching out to mm-hmm. bigger companies in the city and trying to arrange for? Yeah. And it hasn't worked yet. Okay. But we're, I'm always trying to figure out ways, what markets are underserved. So, and who might have to pay a little bit of a premium. So I've, I love renting to people with dogs. I think they're great. They tend to be awesome tenants. Uh, dogs, I have a, I got the biggest dog in the world. He's, and he doesn't do that much damage yeah. besides taking up most of the bed. You know, 
I think kids, <laughs> kids and other things cause more damage. So yeah. I have no problems with dogs. So I usually, usually we rent out to people with dogs and they're, they're appreciative and we don't screw them on the rents, but you know, they always have to, there's always a little bit of a premium there. Sure. Um, another underserved place would be sort of temporary workers. So again, you, you look at your reactive. So you got these renovictions that are happening and you have all these rules and a lot of people will have to move out of their house for six months to a year. And then they have the opportunity, right, of first refusal often to go back, or they might have to move out for a little bit. And I'm like, well, who's going to rent to these people? Very few people. Mm-hmm. Who's going to rent for six months? So we're like, okay, I will. Yeah. And then we get people in for six months. It might not be, be ideal for them. It might not be like big enough for them, but they'll they'll manage it for six months. And then they go back to their old apartments. Students, those those types of people, they, they often don't want to sign a one-year lease and they're happy to, to rent for six months. So we're open for anything. So other people will come in. They'll just regular people sign the lease for a year and they'll, they'll live there for a year or two and then go month to month. That's fine as well. But uh, we'll also open it up to these other people and they might be, might be like a room share type of a thing. So you're living with two other strangers, mm-hmm. but they're all students and they're all, they're all working or something. So we do our due diligence. We look at their backgrounds. We have quite a lot of experience working with people who are, who are here for a year and we find they're awesome tenants. They're yeah. never home. Yeah. Like they, they go there, they sleep and then they're out doing activities every weekend or other working and they don't really bump into each other all that much. So it's, it's perfect for them. We, we can charge a little bit more in rent and, uh, I don't know, serves a need. Mm-hmm. So maybe, uh, maybe shifting gears a little bit, Mark. So what about for like you bought in Mount Pleasant West, uh, an area where it can be Mount Pleasant kind of area where prices are, are fairly high already. Mm-hmm. What about for somebody who's, um, kind of trying, looking, getting into the market? Do you have any areas in, in the Vancouver, greater Vancouver region that you're kind of excited about for kind of a new investor? Yeah. I mean, it all comes down to the, to the budget, right? So. New new investors, I often say, just show me the deal and tell me why, mm-hmm. right? So transit, I think, is going to be huge. Um, parking's not that big of a deal anymore. People don't really care about that. So if you can, closer to the city center, you're probably – it's a less riskier option because if there's going to be a, a, a rocket in the market, it's going to be on the outliers and then the, the middle part will be more insulated unless something like this insurance things really causes a big hiccup. So it, it what well, the question I often, so to answer your question, I, I don't really know. It's like, I, I want to, <laughs> I would try, like to see the deal. And I, I always tell people, it's like, they say, Oh, can you give me your opinion on this? And I, I always flip it to them. It's like, no, you tell me why you want to buy it. And then they list it off and then I'll, then I'll play devil's advocate. And uh, it all depends on where they work, what they're going to do, if they're going to work from home or various other things. What about like in moving kind of broader to to BC or the rest of Canada? Do you have any other markets that you're kind of keeping an eye on? I, I still like certain areas. Like I, I do like, I still like New West. I mean, it's one of my favorite places. Uh, if it's more of the deal though, I, I'm, yeah. I'm sort uh, of repeating myself, but yeah. I, I go after houses no matter where they are. If, if they tick all my boxes and generally it's those houses that have the lazy realtor, lazy owners and that scare off everybody. And that's why I can get the price. And I, I don't deviate from the price. We, we got that place for under 1.5 million. And in that neighborhood, that's a really good price. It gave us opportunity to invest more how money. Big was, how big was the lot? Uh, I don't know. It's 
130 by 120. It's pretty big. It's enough to put a big laneway house in the back. It's a good deal. Yeah. But it, again, <laughs> that seems like but again, de- it's, that it seems like good good value for the land. It's, it's it, t- it wasn't. So we did that. I that was one of the due diligence things. So I talked to my developer friends. And I was like, "Hey, swing by this place uh, and tell me what you think. What would you pay for it?" And he gave me a price. And he goes, "If I was to rip this place down, this is what I'd pay for it." And it was pretty close to what we paid. Like it was only like fifty thousand dollars less. That's where I knew we had a pretty good deal because right. someone ripped it down. It's it's a little bit odd lot. It's like it's long, but it's like twenty eight and a half Narrow. wide or something like that. So it's a little bit narrow. So developers like their thirty because they sure. could just shove what they know on there, and it's sure. easy enough to do. Yeah. When we did our due diligence, the other thing that I, I highly recommend is I brought all my trades in. Like I. I don't know what I don't know. Like I've yeah, said yeah. that before. It's like, um, guy who's going to have to fix the roof, what do you think? Uh, person who has to deal with the the balcony, like what's this going to cost me? I brought them all in and uh, they're poking and prodding and all those things so that I had as many data points as I could before I actually came up with the, the price I would be willing to pay. So there, a lot of things have to, to, to do that level of due diligence, though. A lot of things have to line up, right? You have to be the only offer. Um, you have to negotiate longer terms or, or longer subject period to, to bring people through. Um, so, so, or were you doing this before you tied it up? Were you bringing oh, people yeah. through? Oh yeah. So, okay. so what but you he, must've been pretty confident that you're, there is nobody else kicking around, right? Yeah. If you saw the place, you'd know why, <laughs> <laughs> but we, that's what I mentioned. We went there like 30 times and various different times. Yeah. The realtor hated us because we kept on calling yeah, them back. Right. Uh, we also, the other thing that a lot of people neglect is go into the city. We went to the city right. several times and we found out some things about this property, which were not disclosed. And, but once we discovered them, we, we brought them up and they, they were fixed. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, yeah, go to the city. You had the guy about the oil tank. Um, right. we put that in our contract. So he did the oil tank scan himself. And if I was a seller, I would do the oil tank scan myself because I would do, Kind of the the cheaper one. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Metal and, detector. Yeah, I would do that. <laughs> Not literally by himself, but yeah, the, yeah. right, right. Yeah. No, the cheaper version of it, yeah. an official one. But here's the cheaper yeah. one, yeah. so that the buyer feels comfortable. But as a buyer, I no, I'm I'm paying the four hundred dollars. Yeah, I'm getting in there. Nothing came of it, but I had it in my contract that anything did come to it. All the liability, like we had sure. that much, like a yeah, full yeah, yeah. paragraph yeah, yeah, saying yeah. it's going back to you guys. Yeah, so there's. Due diligence is really important. Don't talk to the city, talk to your trades if you're going to if it's not a turnkey one and get your pricing right. What maybe as I just have two questions. One, what are the biggest risks? So the market seems to be heating up here in a way that feels familiar. Um and I think it's largely interest rate related, I would say as a huge factor, right? Um I mean, part of it, lack of inventory, uh Cheap borrowing costs. People that sat on the sidelines coming back. Yeah. Uh, what are the biggest risks to the market in 2020 as far as you can tell? Uh, and uh, and where are we at the end of this year? Uh, well, forecasts. <laughs> Take out your crystal ball. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. But, okay, let's do risks no, I, first. I, I understand your yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what will tank the market or where we're going to go into correction? I'll, we'll go for that. I'm not saying it's going to happen this year or next year, but this is when we get a, hit a recession. So we get a recession, what happens? Well, we got a lot of uh, migrating workers here. 
all these people in the construction industry. Like the, a lot of them are not locals. They're coming from Calgary. They're coming sure. from back east and stuff. So if that starts drying up, well, they're not staying. They're going, right? They're, they're going to go where the job is. And then we're so dependent on construction in our economy that that will have a factor. And all of a sudden, a lot of people are going to leave. That'll be great for renters because now there's a lot more options out there. But in terms of buyers, a, a lot less. And I would say that a lot of people underestimate the amount of people that do this. And then the other the other side is, well, if start if there is a recession, what's that mean? It means that there's layoffs, people don't get paid as much, costs still remain the same, they still keep going up. So less people are buying, some people will be forced to sell, and then you'll see a normal correction in the market. That's That's what recessions do. The markets never go up. They always go in cycles, and that's a recessionary cycle. So I think those those are the two things that will happen. Now, if you're asking me when I think a recession will hit, I don't think it will be hit this year. Um, one of the main reasons is it's an election year in the US, central banks are pumping in so much money. And as long as they're pumping in that money, which is literally printing money, throwing at the economy, even if it's not working all that well, as long as that happens, it's really hard to get a recessionary. Right. Recessionary is when assets price like spike, interest rates go up, and that's not happening. They're going down. But you know, coronavirus could play a factor. It's definitely going to slow global growth. And if that gets really, really bad, then there could be a recession. But those are what ifs. I, I wouldn't, I generally tell people don't try to predict these big drops or these falls in the markets, just be prepared for them. And that's why you have your defensemen. That's why you have your private mortgages and your, and your real estate for just in case there is a, there is a recession where real estate in REITs, like in the bigger players, they, they tend to do a lot better. But in the markets like this, well, that's when there could be some selling pressure. Seller's market. Right. So in terms of a percentage of increase or decrease, December 2020. <laughs> okay. What, what are we talking about? Condos or what? Uh, my house will be up 100%. <laughs> Don't know about yours. You got a, yeah. you got a leaky bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll leave it there. Matt's, Matt's house down, Mark's yeah. house up. Uh, well, thanks a lot for taking the time today. And how can people find out more about what you're doing? Uh, I'm, I got a pretty good web presence, I guess. If you Google my name, Mark Ting, CBC, Mark Ting Foundation Wealth. Um, I'm doing a podcast too. Oh, I've actually done it already. It's for UBC alumni. I recorded all the shows. Those will be coming out, uh, later this year. So, uh, if you need to find me, it's, it's pretty easy. Twitter, Google my name. It's, I'm out there and my contact information is everywhere. Google them. And uh, yeah, as an aside, I don't know if I told you this last time, I was talking with some uh, parents at the school that my daughter goes to, and I, they said, so you have a podcast. Who like, who do you talk to? And I was trying to think of people that we've talked to that they might know, and I mentioned your name, and oh, man, you got some real fans out there. It was- <laughs> oh, it's good, nice to hear. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. They, fans of you, fans of Gloria. I'm yeah. a fan of Gloria as well. I, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> she warms my car, her, her voice. Uh, well, thanks again. Uh, we got the uh, five Mark. wire. Oh, yeah, five we do wire. have the five wire. Yeah, got to think well, if Mark can come up with uh, some new answers here because okay. I think he's done it before. So yeah. favorite favorite neighborhood, Mark? Well, we'll just go easy with that one. We'll say Mount Pleasant. All right. The more time I've spent there, the more I've fallen in love with it. Man, taking, taking the, the boy out of Richmond. Yeah, I'm still in Richmond for the next 10 years, and we'll see how this one goes. <laughs> I love Richmond, too. Uh, favorite bar or restaurant? I feel like I'm trying to remember your last one. I think it was like a diner. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah. I, I was thinking about this one because I knew you were going to ask me, <laughs> and I thought I'd go with the Cambodian theme. 
So you know Phnom Penh and and yeah. uh, okay Phnom Penh and, and Chinatown. That place is amazing. Every time I go there, huge it's, lineups, but oh, the so lineups good. Are insane. It's worth the <laughs> wait. Some of it, the best lineups out there. It yeah. is. Yeah, <laughs> I don't line up for anything anymore. Like yeah. I'm like I'm too old for this yeah, crap. Yeah, yeah. But that one I will line up for. And right, is it right across from Kisa Tonto? It's very, very close. So many good restaurants. Yeah, that right that, that, that even that street is completely yeah. being revitalized. Yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, what is one piece of advice that you? No, no, give no, your... the book. We're oh, missing. yeah, we don't well, have it written well, down. Uh, yeah, and I don't. My memory is gone. But uh, what is one book that you would recommend to our listenership? So um, I'm going to be teaching at SFU in the spring, and I had to reread a whole bunch of books to start from the basics. And the one that's still as impactful as ever, I think, is The Wealthy Barber. Like, I've, I read that when I was 18, the original yeah, one. Yeah. I read it again over the, over the winter, and I think it's great. It's, it's something that's really good advice, talks about all that behavioral investing. Uh, I think anybody, sh- everybody should read it. it. It's like a, you could read it in like three hours. Yeah, you know what? I read that when I was re- too young. We also uh, we hung out with David Chilton one he, night, and he's an awesome. He's guy a, to he hang was out. a fun guy. Yeah, yeah that was here with him. Yeah. He's a good guy. Yes, smart guy. Super Actually, bright. He signed a couple books for us. Yeah, uh, and then we proceeded to lose them. Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't even think they made it home. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for another podcast, Matt. Uh, uh, okay, so yeah, that's a, that's actually good. I think I'll revisit that book. I haven't had, uh, thought about that one for a while. Um, what? Oh yeah, piece of advice you tell your eighteen-year-old self. Presumably yeah. around the wealthy barber. No, not at all. <laughs> um, learn a trade. Like 18 years old, I if you know le- electronics, not electronics, le- electrical work, plumbing, basic plumbing work, yeah. basic drywall, if you just know how to do these things, you'll save yourself so much money. I have tons of trades out there that are billing themselves out at like $90 an hour. It's like they're surgeons. Well, and it's, it's because they don't want the work. Yeah. They're like, they're busy and they're like, okay, fine, I'm going to bid this at super high and and then right. I, they're going to say no it. and then they get it and they're like well it's 90 dollars an hour i might as well do it but if you know how to do that stuff it, you can save yourself so much or you can at least negotiate better you're like you know what the sure. value is of that work mm-hmm. so i would definitely like watch the youtube videos get your get your hands dirty my, my son is like i said he's laying down flooring he's learning on the glue and he's cutting things and how old's your son 14 but I want him to learn this stuff because yeah. I, I want, I don't want to take care of him. You, you <laughs> also, you also want to save on your construction costs. It doesn't, it doesn't save me anything. It's bonding, bonding. It takes more time. At, at, uh, at ten bucks an hour, you better learn this stuff. <laughs> it's more of me wasted, not wasting my time, but teaching him actually. Is no, but that's a great one. I, I love that. Yeah, uh, young people out there learn a trade. No kidding. Uh, last question. Got a blanket on the five hundred. Five hundred. Five hundred dollars. No, it's, it's one thousand. We've bumped it up. Bumped the threshold up is a thousand bucks. So something that you would buy under a thousand dollars, or that you've bought recently that has had a positive impact on your life. I like a deal, so I'm only spending two fifty. <laughs> and what I did, so I'm going to Sri Lanka in a couple months. And what I did was, when I go to Sri Lanka, I'm renting a tuk tuk. So I got my driver's license in Sri Lanka. <laughs> And I'm renting a tuk-tuk for two weeks, and I'm going to be driving around. I got no plans. Yeah. I got not booking any hotels, no nothing. I'm just going to be driving my tuk-tuk all around Sri Lanka, going to surf. Are you going with your family, or is this... No, just going by myself. I got a friend joining me. How do you get that hall pass? uh, I get that hall pass every year. (laughs) (laughs) How long are you going for? Just two weeks. So two weeks, you've got your driver's license. Yeah. 
Man, you know you, what? Is it an international driver's no, license? No, no, no. It's Sri a Sri Lankan driver's license. Wow. So I'm getting my Sri Lankan driver's license. I got to learn. I can drive standard. I can drive motorcycles. Yeah. But the tuk-tuk has a different way. If you don't know what a tuk-tuk is, it's a, it's a three-wheeler thing where usually yeah. in Southeast Asia where people use them as cabs. They're Popular in Thailand. T- yes. Yeah. But think how cool that will be. So one of the good things about traveling, if I'm going by myself, yeah. is I don't like doing things by myself. I rather like, you know, hang out with people. And if I'm going around all these places and I'd be like, hey, I'm going hop there too. On. Hop in the back. We're going. <laughs> so it's so easy to just meet friends, meet people. I think I, I, I haven't spent it yet yeah. at 250 I put the deposit down, but I can pretty much guarantee you it's going to be a phenomenal experience. So I think that's wow. going to be the that best $250 a- I've ever spent. For a while. A- Are you avoiding the urban centers? Because I'm just thinking like all the tuk-tuk cities that, yeah. I've, that I've seen, it's like chaotic. No, if you know Sri Lanka, there's like a couple big cities, but almost all the cool stuff is pretty much out of those. Okay. So you could actually go on safari where you're just driving your tuk-tuk down the road and you'll see like wild elephants walking around and, and things like that. That's quite common. Wow. And then once you get to various different places, there's like all these hiking. And then all along the coast, Sri Lanka has some of the best surf in the world. Mark Ting just won the best question number five uh, we've ever had on the show, I think. Yeah. That was great. I'm honored. <laughs> that, was, that, that actually sounds like an unbelievable trip. We'll have to have you back on <laughs> just to talk about that. <laughs> to, to tell us about the Tuk Tuk. Yeah, no kidding. Also, uh, just as an aside, you must be a real efficient guy. Like... SFU podcast partner CBC tuk tuk operator. <laughs> like you drive a Sri Lankan cab. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I love the side hustle. What can I say? <laughs> well, uh, thanks so much for your time. Uh, it's definitely uh, appreciated that you come back. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was great. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Mark Ting, partner at Foundation Wealth and CBC's financial guru. I don't yeah. think they actually call no, him that, they but don't that's call what we call him. I know, because we always forget guide to personal finance, but now yeah, we got to uh, add guide to um, tuk-tuk, uh, <laughs> guide to Thailand. <laughs> this is That was kind of incredible. Eh? Yeah. I feel like every time, Mark Ting surprises every time, and that's in this one, it was that he has his tuk-tuk license and he's going on a trip by himself. It's, it's crazy. To drive yeah. a tuk-tuk around uh, No, around surf's Asia. up for Mark Ting. I appreciate him uh, bringing up that story because that was actually, I mean, really, every once in a while you, you think Mark Ting works really hard, right? He's so engaged. Even at the live event, he came straight from the office. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he hung around, he worked, he's got kids, he's a busy guy. He's always he's teaching at SFU now. He's looking he's for doing- real estate opportunities he's writing articles for the cbc i mean he's a busy busy guy so then you think well when does mark ting get like a moment to when, himself when does he study for the talk to exam <laughs> yeah, well not only that but like i'm like man how does he decompress and it turns out in the most creative way possible yeah no kidding and also <laughs> de- taxi driver in asia <laughs> Most yeah, most people are like, I want to stare into a you know at yeah. least myself stare, yeah stare, stare at a wall, at wall. Yeah. not talk to anyone for yeah. a week fetal position right <laughs> Mark Ting yeah it's incredible anyway really interesting stuff with Mark and that that investment sounds great so yeah. hopefully everybody enjoyed that what else do we got this week Adam what else do we got Matt well of course we have our YouTube channel where it has basically all of our live events um, so Vancouver Real Estate Live you can search 
for our YouTube channel at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. And of course, a uh, huge shout out to Ramey from Ramey Films, who's been helping us with the oh, live man, events. Oh, they're man, be- they're beautiful. Um, and he's doing our video marketing. And Ramey is also doing other live events. They're awesome. And, and I would almost exciting. argue if Mark Ting's a financial guru, Ramey is Ramey's the, a creative he's guru. the beautiful film guru. <laughs> and the creative guru. Yeah. He came up with the idea. He did come up with the idea. He approached us, and now our live events are some of my favorite things we do. And just going back to the Langford tour I was on on Saturday, tons of people turned up, really great stuff. And I just wanted to point out there's still some units available at uh, for Pinnacle, that building with with the rental program. Seem really? to be selling quickly though. Like they, they're a, well, yeah. After the weekend, I mean, but uh, I believe there's still a couple, and they're all in rescission still. Yeah. So some might come available if you are interested in kind of that 300k turnkey investment, brand new on the island. Get in touch for sure. And and I also want to say just one because we we friend of the show Corey uh, Wright, who's a commercial broker, fantastic commercial broker, He's been on a live event, who's been on our our show several times. Uh, actually, had flipped us a project for industrial space in Langford, a presale that sold out in I think just over a week. Yeah, so well, it's I the mean, fastest growing community in BC. Yeah, and stuff is really moving there. So it, we we are definitely a lot of deals are coming across our desks for for Langford. So if you are interested, for sure reach out and also head over to our website vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Head over there because we got tons of resources. We also got things like the Livewire, that's our weekly newsletter. We're sending out stats before anyone else. We're sending out stats that no one else is sending out. So right. if you want submarkets, uh, that's a place you sign up. We got the deal of the month. We also got private client services. We do, Matt. And if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information at your fingertips. It's free. It's available on our website. And trust us, we've used every search engine for real estate in the Metro Vancouver area and nothing compares. That's right. If you're not using private client services to search Vancouver real estate, you're doing it wrong. And and last, before we go, Adam, last week we kind of tongue-in-cheek said there's so many people, not not so much tongue-in-cheek actually, right. that are, right. are unaware that we actually are, are realtors working in the Vancouver area. Um, and a friend of the program, a uh, longtime friend of the program actually, right. Will got in touch. He's looking to sell his place. We're, I'm meeting with him uh, for a drink tomorrow to discuss. And I just thought, you know what? It's worth pointing that out. We yeah. help a lot of people buy and sell real estate, but people are, are for some reason, you know, we're not just too... They uh, think this podcast keeps the lights on. <laughs> and, I, and trust me, it doesn't. <laughs> That's absolutely correct. So if you want to talk about that or anything else, give me a call, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that secret line, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Why is that light off? <laughs> Have a great week, guys. Take care. 2,000 Faces for Radio. Subscribe today. Hey, everyone. 
Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs> 